Indeed, amen. The light of the world is Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 9. Take a look at verses 1 through 6. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible there in front of you that you can grab and, and turn to this morning. Luke chapter 9, it's on page 866 in your pew Bible. Hear God's word this morning. And talking about Jesus, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. For whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that the light of the world is Jesus. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and would light up our minds, illuminate our minds so we might see Jesus clearly in this passage. Pray, Lord, also that we'd see ourselves in this passage. And any need for repentance, any need for reconciliation, you and I help us to see it, that you'd do it. Be with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Peanut butter and jelly, mac and cheese, Sonny and Cher. Anna and Elsa, Han Solo and Chewbacca, Batman and Robin, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. What do all of these have in common? They're dynamic duos. They're powerful combos. They're powerful combinations that work together to accomplish Great things. Peanut butter and jelly fill your belly. Mac and cheese will get your children to eat when they won't eat anything else. Amen. Han Solo and Chewbacca help fight the forces of the dark side. Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski secured a Super Bowl championship for Tampa Bay. Anna and Elsa brought peace and tranquility back to the kingdom of Arendelle. And Batman and Robin have been fighting all kinds of feisty warriors and criminals throughout the ages. Those are dynamic duos. Those are powerful combinations. Do you ever see yourself as part of a dynamic duo? Do you ever feel like you're part of a powerful combination? Frederick Douglass said this, One and God 
make a majority. Interesting. Frederick Douglass said, one and God make a majority. What is Frederick Douglass saying in that? He's not saying much about himself, is he? He's saying something very powerful about God. In his infinite power, in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite knowledge, in his infinite work. One and God make a majority. This passage helps us to see how we are part of God's dynamic work throughout redemptive history. Now in this passage it says that Jesus calls the twelve disciples together in verse 1. And he gives them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And then he sends them out to preach the gospel and to heal. How does, what does that have to do with me and you today? In this way. God gave his people, his disciples, a twofold witness in this passage. And he gives us the same twofold witness today as his ambassadors today. He gives us the call to be a witness for him in word and a witness for him in deed. I have a friend who tells me this is how he feels every Sunday morning going to the pulpit. He feels like his sermon notes and his sermon that he spent hours on end preparing is kind of like just a little bit of twigs that he's putting on the pulpit that he's tried so hard to work together, but it's more like kindling and he's begging and asking God to put some fire to the twigs to light a fire in people's hearts. And so as you hear this morning about the fact that you're called to be part of God's dynamic duo, his, his powerful combination in the world to be his witness, you may feel as if you're woefully unqualified. You may feel as if you're woefully unprepared to be a part of it. Well, welcome to the team. But what we need to see in this passage is how God's word and God's works always go hand in hand. Let's take a brief stroll through the scriptures this morning. Where do we see God's word first in the Bible? It's in the book of Genesis. We see God's word in, when God said, let there be light, and what happened? There was light. There already in the first few pages of scripture, we see God's word and God works, his word and his deeds united. We see it in the covenant that he makes with, with Adam in the Garden of Eden, that if you perfectly obey me, there, you and your posterity will enjoy eternal life. But when you sin by eating the fruit of the, the forbidden fruit from the tree that I've told you not to eat, then God's word and his works of punishment will be united. And what happens when Adam sins and disobeys God? That's exactly what happens. God's word and God's works are united in punishment. But soon thereafter, God's word is present as he promises, as Patrick taught today in Genesis 3.15, our Sunday school classes, the proto-euangelion, the first Hope of the gospel in Genesis 3.15 is God promises that he will send one someday that will crush the serpent's head. And who do we know that to be? Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. What do we see throughout the scriptures? God's word and God's works united. 
And that's what God desires to see in us as his church and as his ambassadors in this world. Is that we're to have a twofold witness for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that's how I want us to unpack this morning's passage today. Is to take a look at this twofold witness that Christ has called us to pursue. The first part of that twofold witness is we are called to be witnesses in word. Witness for Jesus in word. Where do we see that? We see that in verses 1 through 2 and 6. Look at what it says. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out what? To proclaim the kingdom of God. Notice what takes priority in this passage. Notice, notice what takes priority and emphasis in Christ's witness in the world. It's the preaching of the gospel. Unless you think that the preaching of the gospel is not equivalent to the proclaiming of the kingdom of God, look at verse 6. It says, And they departed and went throughout the villages preaching the gospel. And so in this passage, we see the kingdom of God, the proclamation about the kingdom of God and the gospel as synonymous. What are we learning? That we go out as witnesses for Jesus Christ. We go out as his ambassadors. We represent our Savior. And what do we tell people? That there's a king named Jesus. He is the king above all kings. He's the Lord above all lords. He's worthy of our complete worship. He's worthy of our complete devotion. He's worthy of our complete obedience. And that now is the time of salvation. That now is the time to bend our knee to King Jesus. To admit our sin. To profess our faith in Him. And to receive Him as our Lord and Savior. Because if we don't do so now, eventually there will come a day when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what are we called to do as ambassadors for Jesus Christ? What are we called to do as witnesses for Jesus? We're called first and foremost to witness for Jesus in word by sharing the gospel. By sharing the gospel that there is a king who is victorious over Satan, over sin, and over death. And you can do that without ever pastoring a church or preaching from a pulpit. One of my former pastors is named Dr. Ray Hurt. I'll never forget Dr. Ray Hurt preaching on a Sunday evening and him sharing this true story that happened to him. Dr. Hurt had been preaching at a, at a conference over the weekend and as he and his wife were making their way back to their home, I'm assuming it was there in West Virginia, he stopped off at a rest area like many of us do, and he stopped off to use the restroom. Uh, Mrs. Hurt was in the vehicle waiting on Dr. Hurt. And Dr. Hurt tells the story that he went into the restroom late at night at this rest area, and as he was washing his hands and beginning to dry his hands with the towel, Two men ran into the restroom, 
locked the door. They had faces covered. One of them pulled a knife on him and told him to hand over his wallet immediately. He's getting ready to be robbed. He's being robbed. Dr. Hurt was honest and said that in the moment he panicked and he prayed in his mind, help me Jesus. And for some reason he felt the need to say to the man who was holding the knife at him, as Dr. Hurt was grabbing for his wallet, he looked at the man as he began to hand his wallet to him, shaking and said, Jesus loves you. Dr. Hurt shares the story that at that moment, the gentleman that was holding the knife at him cursed the name of Jesus. And as Dr. Hurt went to hand the gentleman holding the knife, his his wallet, his friend that was in the, the restroom with them also seeking to rob him, shoved his friend and said, don't talk about Jesus like that. And Dr. Hurt said he took his wallet and began putting it back in his pocket. And as the two men began to argue amongst one another about whether or not they should use God's name in vain in relationship to Jesus, Dr. Hurt says he unlocked the bathroom door, ran to the car, and got away. You never know what Jesus can do with a few words spoken about his name. Did Dr. Hurt witness for Jesus that night, even in that restroom, as he shivered and shook in fear? Yes. Yes, he did. And what made those few words that we all could say. Can't you say say it with me? Say, Jesus loves you. Everyone in this sanctuary has proven that they're perfectly capable of saying that. What made all the difference? It was the power and the authority of Jesus working through the Holy Spirit in that moment. Friends, you may feel as if you're weak and feeble and you cannot be a witness for Jesus in word, But you can because you just proved it right now. You can say at least to anyone, Jesus loves you. And what will make it powerful? The power of Jesus working through our feeble lips. Where do we see our need to share the word? We see it inside the church. Every single one of us needs to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the reality is that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour each and every single one of us. And there's nothing that would bring Satan more joy than to see many of our faiths shipwrecked. So one of the ways we need to witness in word is with one another. As we talked about in Sunday school today, gently, lovingly speaking the truth in love to one another and holding one another accountable in our walk. But we see it also in our need to share the word Outside the church. Uh, Thursday I was handing out some cold bottles of water. And a guy asked me, why are you doing this? I said, well, it's compliments of the church over there. And he said, well, why is the church handing out bottles of water? And I said, well, I think it's just a nice way of God showing you that he loves you. And the man laughed at me and gave me the peace sign. That was his way of saying, move on, brother, move on. 
But I went home and I prayed for that man as I got his name. Because you know what? In that moment, as weak and feeble as I felt, I was being faithful. And so the Lord can use our faithful witness in word, even if it's something as simple and easy as saying, Jesus loves you. How else do we witness in word? Well, the officers of the church are supposed to help us witness in word, and we're going to have a congregational meeting following the worship service as soon as I get finished preaching. (laughs) You don't have to amen that now. (laughs) What's the pastor called to do? According to our former government, the pastor is called to teach and to lead. And the elders are called to govern and to discipline, which means that when it comes to the pastor and the elder, Primarily, our focus is upon the word ministries of the church. That's our focus. And that's part of a twofold witness for Christ. So we need to witness for Jesus in word. But how else do we witness for Jesus? We not only witness for Jesus in word, but we also witness for Jesus in deed. I want you to see that in these verses as well. How do we see the witness for Jesus indeed? We'll look again at verses 1 and 2. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And then look at verse 6. And they departed and went through all the villages, continuously going throughout the villages. And what did they continuously do? They preached the gospel and healed everywhere. Why do the Gospels make such a big deal about Jesus' miracles? Have you ever thought about it? Why were there so many miracles during this point in redemptive history? Was God just showing off? Was God just trying to wow people with his abilities? No. God's word and God's work. Always go together. And what John's gospel highlights for us very particularly is that all the signs were given as a reason to affirm Jesus' identity as the Messiah, to affirm Jesus' identity as the Son of God, and to affirm his work as the Savior of sinners. And so in this healing of the diseases, you should see as God's redemptive work in redemptive history, to prove that he's reversing the curse of sin and death that's active in the world. And so all the miracles that Jesus performs are ways of Jesus affirming his identity and his mission. And how are they to go about this work? Verses 3 through 5 tells us, that these disciples were to be totally dependent upon God's provisions. That's what it says that, verse 3, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag to keep food in, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics, and whatever house you, either, you enter, stay there, and from there depart. In other words, it's not like you go to the joiner's house and you say, Well, this is a nice house to stay at, but I've seen the Tibbet's house. And the Tibbetts house, I don't know, you got a nice house, not a bad house, but their, their house is a little bit better. So then I'm going to go over to the Tibbetts house until I hear about the Westbury's house. And then I'm like, well, I might be able to do another upgrade. 
What's the point of this passage? The point is that Jesus is saying that when we do his work, we're not to do it for our own glory. We're not to do it for our own convenience. But we're to be dependent completely upon him for his power, his authority, his, his provision, and the success of all that we do. Is that how you live your life for Jesus? Do you live totally dependent upon him? Deacons, you deal with the finances of the church and we are blessed. There will be the temptation as deacons in the Bartow ARP church to be dependent upon our own wisdom, our own ingenuity, our own innovation. And might not be dependent upon God and his provision. So we got to fight for it. we got to fight for it. But as a church, how are we to witness for Jesus with our deeds? I can't remember if I've told you this story before or not. Uh, I'll, bring it, I'll blame it on older age, but it's still a good story to share. A number of years ago, Jennifer and I were, were serving at ARP Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And Asheville is an interesting community, if you know anything about it. Very much a hippie town. Uh, but at that time, Jennifer was working at uh, J.C. Penney while we were there serving in Asheville. And there was a, a gentleman, one of her co-workers by the name of John, uh, who was very vocal about his hostility against the Christian faith. And he used to aggravate Jennifer a lot because he would come up to her and he would ask her a question while she was at the cash register ringing people up. And he would say, well, how do you know this? Or how do you know this that about Jesus and about the Bible? And then he would run away right about the time that she was getting ready to answer him. And so our church was having what we call a, a vision banquet. It was a vision Sunday, similar to kind of like a stewardship banquet we have here from time to time. I went by to see Jennifer on her lunch break, and we were talking about the vision banquet, the vision Sunday, and some provisions we need to make in order to get prepared for it. And John overheard the conversation about the vision Sunday, and he asked if, why he wasn't invited. We were shocked that he would even want to be invited. We said, well, you're pretty hostile to Christianity. You're pretty hostile to the church that we pastor. We didn't think you'd want to be a part of it. So we invited him anyway, fearing that it could be a total disaster and debacle. There's something else about John you need to know. He was a vocal atheist, and he was very vocal about his homosexuality. And he came to that vision banquet that night, and I'll never forget where he was sitting. He sat near Jennifer. And as we gave and cast the vision for where our church was and where our church was going, at the end of the night, we gave gift bags to everyone in attendance. The gift bag had some candy, some fun things in it. But one of the things we included in every bag was an ESV outreach Bible that had some of the best one-paragraph introductions to each book of the Bible I had ever read or seen. And I'll never forget, at the end of the vision banquet, John came up to me holding the bag in his hand but cradling the Bible in his arm like this. And John looked at me and he said, he asked the question, is this mine to keep? 
A thousand thoughts ran through my mind at that moment. I anticipated him potentially ripping it in two like he was some weightlifter. I pictured him throwing it down the ground or spitting on it. I pictured him maybe taking it over to the trash can and lighting it on fire. So I remember thinking, oh, Lord, give me the words to say right now. But finally, I just smiled at him. I said, yes, John, it is. He looked at me again, and he asked me a second time, this is mine to keep? Why? I said, John, it's our gift to you. It's a small token of our appreciation for you being here tonight, and we want to say thank you for coming. I'll never forget when John looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, this is the first gift I've been given in years. And I never dreamed that the next gift I would receive would be from a Christian. And John walked out the door with tears in his eyes. Friends, I'm not that good. But in a small way that night we ended up being a witness for Jesus indeed in a way we never imagined what does it look like for you to be a witness for Jesus indeed it could be a simple gift it could be a simple text message of praying for you and your family It could be a listening ear. It could be a simple visit. It could be a honk of the horn as you drive by a friend's house. We are called to be a witness for Jesus in word and deed. And when we do that, do you know what we get to do? We get to watch Jesus work. Because Jesus has promised he will work through us when we seek to witness for him in word and deed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege and this opportunity to worship you to be gathered by your word and then seek to leave here witnessing for you in word and deed. Give us the courage to take the challenge. Give us the courage to put it into practice. And give us the joy of seeing you work. In the midst of tiny, small, seemingly insignificant acts. And through fragile words that seem so weak. But are used so mightily. By you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.